Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome back to another episode of the Elite Business Advice Podcast. My name is Chris Moore. I'm the founder of Elite Business Advisors and your host for the Elite Business Advice Podcast. So one thing that we've had a lot of people requesting a little bit over the years, uh, especially here recently, is to start doing like a Q&A podcast where people can submit questions, have us answer them uh, here on the air uh, and, and kind of just share this because we we try to put out content on topics based on a lot of questions that we are getting or conversations with clients, right? We kind of use that as kind of a guiding principle for some of the content that we push out on this podcast and dive deep into them, right? Um, but taking time to just kind of do a rapid fire on uh, some questions that people have uh, because I know really we look at like this is that just because somebody has this question, I know they're not the only person with that question, right? If it's something very specific to them, obviously we don't need to cover that on the air, Um, but something just a little bit more generic, some of the kind of common questions and stuff. Uh, And so if you have questions you want us to address on a future episode, reach out to us. We plan on doing this maybe about every six weeks or so. We don't want to do it too frequent, uh, right? But I think, you know, once a year or something isn't enough. So we're going to try to do about every six weeks, depending on where we fall in some of our series and other recordings and stuff. Um, so if you have questions, reach out to us, shoot me an email, chris at elitebusinessadvisors.com. Uh, you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, um, our social handle on all major platforms is at Elite Business Advisors. So shoot us a message on there. We would love to get some feedback. We're going to be a little bit more proactive in the future uh, and, and really put some stuff out there on social, maybe a week or two ahead of time. This was some uh, kind of some questions we gathered over uh, client meetings here recently. We had a couple people reach out and submit some questions here in the last few days when we had the idea to start running with this now. Um, so it'll be a little bit more proactive. So start sending them in. We'll start making lists uh, and start talking through it. And so I hope it helps. I hope this is fun. Thanks for plugging in. This is the Elite Business Advice Podcast. All right. So the first question that we got from somebody uh, actually on yesterday is what is a great time tracking software to use for employees? Uh, So number one for us, we like to track time where it can be allocated to a specific project. Um, Just being able to track time, clocking in and clocking out for payroll is great, but we want it to be attributed to a project to where they're either assigned to it in the software or they have to select the project they're clocking in and out on. That way the labor hours are immediately tracked on um, the, the, the hours in the job are already ready to go for job costing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So there's a few different platforms we recommend for this. Some of this depends on the CRM you use. Some of it depends on the integration into your payroll software, how some of that stuff works, right? Um, but the number one requirement is make sure that it can be tagged to a job. Um, the couple that we typically recommend uh, is if you're using a CRM, that's one thing we love about Jobber is it tracks the time for you. Um, some of the other ones do. I know Paint Scout connects in with Work Glue. It's two different things that kind of work together hand in hand with Work Glue. You can clock in and clock out. But for most people, if you are already using Jobber, set it up on there. A lot of people do use QuickBooks Time. Um, feedback's kind of hit and miss on that. Most people like it. You can assign um, labor to a job on 
on QuickBooks time. Uh, the other couple independent apps that sometimes people will use, again, just depends on the integration and functionality is uh, ClockShark. I've heard a lot of good things about that. And then another one is called When I Work, um, whenIwork.com. Hasn't been like a super popular one, but we had a couple of clients use it uh, and the functionality has been great because again, you can schedule people to projects, they can clock in and out on there. Um, and I think that that works well. Uh, one question we get on this too, kind of is a 2.0 uh, question we get from a lot of clients I figured I'd just throw in here too is, should it be GPS enabled? And for me personally, I don't feel like that's, necessary, um, but it can be a nice benefit. Uh, and the reason I say that is, in all reality, if your employees are clocking in when they leave their house in the morning, one, that should be getting caught by somebody somewhere along the line, right? Um, and if your crew leaders are doing that, you got a lot bigger issues to deal with, right? So if your crew leaders are like, no, they didn't get to the job site till 7.30, but all of a sudden you're seeing them clocking in at seven every day. Like, you know, there's ways to kind of navigate some of this. Um, I don't think the GPS enabled is, is required. Again, if you start having dishonest employees, it can be kind of a nice like verification type thing. Um, but for the most part, I don't think it's a necessity uh, unless you start having issues. And even at that, I think there's other ways to figure out if something like that's going on that's not GPS enabled. Um, again, I think it's a trust thing, right? Do you have that relationship with your employees? And for me, if somebody was like, hey, we're gonna clock in and out and it's all GPS enabled, like I'd be like, whoa, so you already don't trust me. Like I'd kind of be putting my guard up already, um, you know, that there is no line of trust there. So I guess if it is GPS enabled, maybe if you can do it without them knowing it, that'd be ideal. But I just feel like that kind of creates some awkwardness in the relationship. So that's just my point of view. If anybody has thoughts on like why GPS enabled has been the best thing for you and you have a different perspective, please tell me because I'd always love some more feedback in case, you know, we need to kind of change our thinking about some stuff and we're missing some benefits um, that we aren't really thinking about right now. So um, another question we get uh, or we got uh, submitted two days ago, at what point does it warrant bringing on a production manager or an estimator? So to give you some context here, uh, the person that had asked this question is, uh, some of their, they're doing about $500,000 a year right now. They've got four painters. Um, so that was kind of the, the framework around the question, right? Like at what point do we need to grow to, to where it really makes sense for us to bring on somebody else to help the owner? The owner's doing a hundred percent everything, right? Uh, in kind of the general benchmark, and I've said this a lot. I feel like I always throw caveats in here, right? Um, we try to give advice and stuff on these podcasts, but like it's so specific to everybody's business, which is why we do the one-on-one -on -one coaching the way we do it. Um, we've had people that have been at $500,000 that brought on a kind of pseudo project manager, production manager that was half half the time painter, half the time production manager, and then they grew into that production manager role full-time once they had seven, eight, nine painters. Um, so there's always ways you can get creative with stuff. Same thing on the estimating side, but for the most part, for somebody to bring on a full-time production manager, estimator, it's usually when you're starting to hit that $700,000 a year mark, uh, maybe 800,000 for sure by the time you hit a million, um, that's pretty pretty necessary because a lot of times at that point you, you're either dealing with maybe six in-house people and a couple of subcontractors so you're project managing a lot, um, or you have maybe three crews of three employees or nine employees. Um, like it, when you're getting to that million dollar range, you, you should have that next person in place. Um, but typically once you start getting to that 700,000 mark is when the business should be 
should be making enough money to cover that salary and make it start, you know, producing for itself and expanding your capacity on where you can grow. Uh, but again, that's not to say that some people that have been at half a million dollars haven't figured out how to kind of make it work in the meantime to grow into that role down the road. And if you can get strategic like that, there's a lot of benefits to it. So, uh, but typically, again, by three quarters of a million, you should be starting to look for that person, even if you're not ready to pull the trigger right that second, but getting things lined up for that down the road. Um, this is a question we got a couple of weeks ago from somebody and I wanted to throw this in here. Uh, they asked us, does a salaried production team member uh, make sense for a business? And, and that could be a painter. When I say production team, I don't mean production manager. Um, I mean like a painter, a carpenter, a drywall person, right? Like having somebody on your staff that is salaried. Does it make sense? And I think in some cases this can make sense, but for the most part, I've seen it work poorly more than I've seen it work great. Um, and I'll be the first person to say, uh, the last couple of years I had my painting business, two of my painters were on salary. Um, you know, they, we basically said, Hey, here's what you have to produce. And as long as you guys are producing this much, it was a crew, the two of them together. Um, they were the guys that had been with me for like five or six years, came over to me with elite painting and stuff. Well, I basically set a benchmark and I said, as long as we're producing this much work, I have no problem putting you on salary and paying you this much a month because I knew that if we were doing this amount, and I think it was like 20,000, 25,000 for the two of them to produce each month. If we were doing that, like I knew that I could put them on salary and we'd be good because our, our costs were fixed. I knew our material cost was dialed in. Our overhead was super small. Like I knew that that was fine. And that was kind of the rule we had. Like, hey, if this dips down, if you guys start slacking and we're not producing at least 20,000, I think 25 was the goal and 20,000 was the minimum we had to hit. Um, and if it was under 18, we were cutting that last paycheck back. Um, as long as we're hitting those numbers, um, unless it was something that was my fault or you know not their, their situation, I knew that it worked, right? And I had the trust, I had the relationship. It, like They had been with me for four years at that point before I put them onto salary. There was some trust behind that. Um, and they wanted to do it just for that security. And, you know, and it just, it was a win-win for all of us. Right. But I think for the most part, I've seen it work not well, more than I've seen it work well in that situation that, that I, you know, just went through and explained to you guys. Uh, and the reason behind it is it makes it really hard. Like if you've got a painter, right, let's say you have a bedroom that needs painted. You probably estimated four or six hours for that. Right. Um, you're going to send them to go do that. And then you may not have anything for them the rest of the day. If you're smart, you're going to send them somewhere as soon as they're done. But at the end of the day, you basically just paid them an entire day's worth of wages to paint a bedroom that took them three to four hours, right? Or five hours. Um, and so I think if you do have people in salary, you have to be very strategic in these like shorter days, right? Hey, we finished up at six and a half hours today. Well, technically you just paid eight hours for that. So hopefully that that was still what you estimated, right? You kind of have to change your estimating strategy a little bit based on you know days or you have to be really good and micro with your scheduling and i think it just causes a lot more headaches um we have one client that brought a carpenter on part of the agreement initially was that they just wanted a salary they wanted some security fantastic um he wasn't great about logging his hours for job costing because he didn't have to because he was on salary which drove all of us a little bit nuts not the point um, but what we've realized is we just switched him off salary because it just, it, it wasn't working. We could tell he wasn't really paying for himself. He wasn't probably working the 40 hours a week. And so now that we've seen this, he's been averaging about 60 to 65 hours a week every two weeks, which is fine because they're getting the work done. Like it's not a issue with production that they aren't getting stuff done. But what we realized was we were probably paying him 
I'm going to say 15. He's probably clocking more hours now than he was even then. We're just going to say on the low side, we were paying him 30 hours a month for nothing. Right. Um, and that adds up over time. And so I just, I see it work not as good and it can be a little bit more problemsome. It's just, if you're going to do it make sure it's the right situation with the right person, the right relationship, and that the numbers are going to all add out because, um, it is, it can have some benefits to everybody, but at the same time, I think there can be a lot more, um, strain put on the finances of the business than, than what it can be um, helpful for, if that makes sense. Uh, one question somebody asked, this is one we get a lot, especially when we go speak at Sherwin Williams events. Should I take deposits and should it be refundable? Um, so should I take deposits? Uh, the, the easy answer there is yes, 100%. Um, should it be refundable? I also think it should be. Um, I think, you know, kind of our policy and, and kind of what we advise our clients on is it's refundable as long as we haven't bought materials and we're more than like a week or so out from the start of the job. Um, I don't remember what we actually had in the, like the terms and conditions in our contract um, that they signed. It might've been even 14 days at that point. I look at it like this. I like to have a policy in place for it somewhere in your contract, your estimate, whatever, to where you have something to go off of should somebody really put you in a bind or there's like a problem, right? But nine times out of 10, I'm gonna work with people. I'm gonna refund their deposit. If they're having to cancel, usually there's a reason why. Um, and it's okay, as long as I haven't spent any money and it doesn't like mess up my schedule, I'm okay with it, right? If I'm supposed to go do a job for somebody tomorrow and they cancel, well, now I'm probably not gonna be able to squeeze anything up. Maybe, maybe I can, maybe I can't. Um, and so that's gonna put me in a bind. In that case, I may not make their deposit refundable even if we haven't bought materials because like they just really jacked up our schedule and our opportunity costs, right? So I think it should be refundable, um, but I think you should have a policy in there kind of under what grounds is it refundable? And that would be materials and making sure that like it's you know more than seven days in advance, uh, they would have to cancel. So again, stuff that doesn't come up a lot. Taking deposits though is huge. Um, but the biggest thing with this guys is we need to put those aside in a separate account. Um, I know having deposits has got a lot of people through some tough stuff in the last year, some unexpected expenses. They've had the money at least to lean on. Um, you know, we never like spending future earned income, right? That's why we like to set it aside and don't touch it. Pretend it's not there, but you have it. If you're waiting on a big check and you need to make payroll, you need to pay a credit card bill, right? And just you're waiting on a check in the mail or a payment from a customer. I understand that we like having that for that cash flow buffer. Um, but you know, realistically, yeah, you should be taking deposits. It's just really good practice to try to get in the habit of setting them aside. And if you aren't, or you haven't, you've been spending deposits, it's okay. Like you can kind of transition over time and eventually get, get yourself in a spot where you can have that kind of security there, um, where, you know, the only money that's in your checking account is from jobs that have been produced, not future jobs you haven't even got to yet. So, um, one question we got from a client last week, and, and I've, I've seen this quite a bit, uh, Jess and I have been having this conversation with a few different clients. How can I manage my time better? And the context behind this from, from the few people we've had this discussion with has been um, an owner doing everything, trying to grow their business, right? As I mentioned earlier, the, the, the person looking for a production manager estimator, um, how do I manage my time better, right? Because as business grows, your time gets stretched. As our business has grown here to lead business advisors, my schedule got stretched. I kind of hate that I don't have the flexibility as much to reschedule and do some stuff with people when you guys need it um, as I did when we only had like seven or 10 clients. <laughs> like I'm thankful for the 40 plus that we have right now. Um, but you know, 
again, it just schedule stretches, business grows, right? We have to figure out how to delegate. We have to do some of those things. And so I think the biggest thing that we always go back to, uh, and Jess is really good at coaching people and helping people implement this too, is time blocking and setting your schedule up for success. Uh, and I think for me, I know that at the end of the day, that the morning, the first two hours are like the most important part of my day. I try to make sure I have at least an hour in the morning to get in here to the office, to catch up on emails, phone calls, texts, um, any little like to-do list stuff. And I try to get all that out of the way before I start meeting with clients. Cause I know as the day goes on, more things will come in. And if I can't take some time in the morning to just get those little things done that need done and addressed, it's gonna like stress me out the rest of the day. I'm gonna lose focus. It's gonna just be kind of crazy, right? So I intentionally time block out some time in the morning uh, and I do daycare drop off a lot and stuff. So, you know, it kind of gives me a little flexibility there because you never know how getting out of the house is in the, some mornings. Um, so I never try to schedule myself too tight, but I know for me, like I need that hour in the morning um, not to wake up, not to get my second cup of coffee, although those are probably two benefits to all of you guys that coach with us, um, but to really sit down and just say, okay, like, let me get some stuff done. Uh, and then the whole rest of the day can be meetings and I'm good at that point. So I think you just need to be strategic about your schedule. Um, and what that looks like for a painting business owner is a couple of things. One, you should have, if you're still producing, you should have set days and or kind of schedules where you are producing in times where you're estimating in times where your office, right? Um, a little bit of both. Like for me in the mornings, whenever I had my painting company, um, you know, we, we didn't honestly start until like 8.30 in the mornings. I was fine with that. My painters wanted that. Homeowners were happy with it, right? Because we weren't showing up at seven o'clock. That was just kind of a personal thing. Obviously do whatever you want with that. So I would always be on my computer by seven in the morning. And again, I would take an hour to just, okay, what do I need to do today? Who do I need to call back? Who do I need to follow up with? What are the tasks I need to do? I would knock some of them out that morning. And then I kind of had like a to-do list for the day, right? I was checking in our, on our CRM, who, what estimates need to follow it up with, what customers needed scheduled, who do we need to get colors for? I just get all those details. I would take about an hour in the morning and do that. That was my office time. I'd update job costing, our schedule, any of that stuff. That was my office time. And then I would leave eight o'clock, you know, be at a job site by 8.30, depending on how close we were working to our house. And, you know, for me, I was mostly business focused, a little less production. But if I was producing, I would either have my schedule set up where I was producing like half days with them. And then the second half of the day was estimates. Um, or I would produce like on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesdays and Thursdays were like my estimating days, right? One other thing that I found helpful, and I still do this now, um, is sometimes I'll try to intentionally time block like a gap to go sit at Starbucks and get some work done. Um, if I'm more than 15 minutes away from my house or office now here, um, you know, I will, I would literally sometimes be like, oh, I'm actually gonna block in a little bit of time or we've got a little bit of a gap here. I'm gonna make that awkward hour somewhere where I have to go sit down and work, right? And, and focus in on business stuff if I need to get some stuff done. Uh, and again, I'll still do that even to this day. So I think, I think as you grow, as you're trying to do everything, you're trying to wear all the hats, you're trying to keep everything going, we have to get really good with our schedule. We have to dive in and get really diligent, really disciplined and really organized with our schedule and stick to it as much as we can. Things are gonna come up. Thing, you know, people, oh, estimates are gonna get rescheduled. Um, jobs, you know, weather's gonna change. And like, I understand things are gonna happen, but the more that you can set like a structure in your schedule. And again, I like, you know, days, I like time blocks for time, just little things like that. Again, just if you're, if you're good getting up in the morning, you're able to do it 
time block out an hour in the morning to just knock out all your computer business admin stuff or make a to-do list so you can make some phone calls in the car, right? There's times to make sure you're in front of your computer to take notes when you're talking to people. And then there's times to just say, hey, Ms. Smith, this is Chris Moore with Elite Painting. Just wanna check in, let you know, we've still got you in the schedule. Uh, we're shooting to start next Monday if everything goes smoothly here the next couple of days. Um, I'll check in with you on Friday and let you know for sure. That can be done in the car while you're driving, right? So try to kill two birds with one stone. Um, you know, make a list of who you need to call and then knock those out while you can um, and just kind of time block. But I really think, again, as you grow, we have to get disciplined. We have to get organized with our schedule. And I think for a lot of business owners, that's tough, right? Because we get pulled in so many different directions. We're reactive more than being proactive. So if you can set some structures in your schedule, know the things that happen, right? I used to, I was a big part of BNI. We had our meetings. It was lunchtime every Tuesday. So I knew I'd start my guys at 8.30 Tuesday. And from nine o'clock-ish until 11 when I went to BNI was my estimate time. If I was in the O'Fallon area where we live at here now, um, or it was business time to catch up on stuff. Like I made Tuesdays my business day. And if I ever, you know, we were doing kitchen cabinets, or if I ever needed to go hop on a job site, I wasn't getting there till 1.30. And then 1.30 to 4.30, I was, you know, would produce or do whatever needed to be done. So just, if there's things that repeat in your schedule, and again, daycare drop-offs, different things, I plan my schedules now around what our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning routine looks like, right? So just get used to the patterns and, and be able to plan around it and be proactive with it. Um, somebody else submitted a question here yesterday that said, should I get a shop? Uh, and this is a loaded question in a lot of different ways. Um, and kind of our philosophy on this is, uh, that there can be benefit to having an office and a shop space, right? If you spray a lot of cabinets, if you do a lot of spraying and stuff, there's a, a big benefit to having a shop. If you do not do a lot of that type of work, sometimes a shop can just be a little bit of a waste there can be benefits too right you can store materials you can have a central place for people to come there are benefits to it right but i think we have to start at that point weighing the finances and the functionality of it right but if you're doing a lot of spraying you're setting stuff up in people's garages basements you're taking stuff back to your house to spray like there can be a point where that makes sense what i always say is kick that can down the road as far as you can without it actually impeding your business if there becomes a point where like, man, if we had a shop, this would be so much easier. It would be worth it. We can justify the $1,500 a month, whatever your rent would be, or whatever that situation looks like. I think the farther down the road you can kick that, the better. Um, and in the meantime, whatever you think that rent is gonna be like for what you're looking for, start putting that money aside and just pretend like that's part of your monthly overhead and see how it affects your business. Um, yes, there is definitely some stuff. And again, the goal of getting a shop space or having an office is that it's going to return whatever you're spending on it, right? It shouldn't be a sunk cost that's going to nothing. There should be benefit um, of ease of whatever, um, I know doing kitchen cabinets in a climate controlled environment is much better than trying to set it up in somebody's garage. Did that work for us for a lot of years? Absolutely. Um, but guess what? We dealt with heat. We dealt with cool in the wintertime. Like we were constantly running heaters or running this or, you know, trying to control the environment. Um, and it was finally like, hey, this is actually a lot easier to have a climate controlled environment. Um, but we pushed that as far as we could without sacrificing quality to our customers, you know, or any of that stuff. We pushed it as far as we could before, you know, spending some money on something like that. So I think, you know, kind of our take with overhead is this. Not one decision is gonna make or break your business financially, typically, when it comes to overhead, right? But all of these little decisions add up over time. 
Um, think about it maybe in your personal lives. I, we did an episode, I think it was last week on personal finances and business finances. And there was a point that my wife and I, I don't know if I shared it in there, maybe in a different episode, we get to a point where we're like, how did we end up here? Like, we got a car loan, we've got all these student loans, we've got, you know, mortgage on our house. And again, I kind of went through good debt and bad debt on that episode. Um, but it was just like, all of a sudden we're like, we kind of, I don't want to say we just woke up one morning, but it hit us like, oh, we're $300,000 in debt if you add everything in together. Um, good, bad, ugly, I don't know, we were 25 and all of a sudden it was just like, how did we get here, right? And I think a lot of times we can do that with our overhead too. Um, it's the $100 a month estimating CRM subscription. Cool, fantastic. It's this, it's, hey, we're gonna get a vehicle. Hey, we're gonna do this. Hey, we're gonna get an office space. And then all of a sudden you're like, shoot, we have $10,000 a month of overhead committed to every month that just happens, right? How did we go from five to 10,000? What well, was every little decision along the way? Because guess what, with the shop comes utilities, comes water, comes you know sewer, trash, like electric, all the other stuff, right? Insurance, added insurance costs probably. Like it's not just the $1,500 a month shop space, it's the extra $500 a month of cost probably on top of that. Um, mirrored with the fact that you just bought a vehicle and you're looking to pay for advertising now and all the other little things, right? So with overhead, we just try to be very cautious and keep a really close eye on it and always make sure that those decisions are gonna bring in more money for you down the road. Uh, the last question that I'm gonna get through here today, uh, and I'll save the other one for our next episode here coming up in a, six weeks or so, give or take. Um, what can I do to get more business fast? Um, this is you know a question that sometimes people are like, hey, I need to get some jobs. We got two or three weeks worth of work. Um, what can I do to get more business fast? And the few things that we always point to when, when it comes to this, and this can be, this could be a whole episode in itself. We've done some stuff with marketing before, so go back and listen to some of those. But to get business fast, I look at a couple things. Number one, your previous customers. Are you staying in touch with them? When's the last time you've reached out to some of them? Um, and are you taking notes whenever a customer you're working for now or has recently said, hey, thank you guys so much, you were awesome. I really wanna have you back in the fall to do X, Y, Z. Are you taking notes and following up with them in the fall? Or are you just waiting for them to remember and reach out to you? It's little things like that, that especially if you get in a pinch and you've got a list of 10 people that said, hey, you know, in October, uh, we want you to come back and do the basement. Well, it's end of August right now. Maybe they're not ready yet, but I'm gonna give them a call. Hey, you know, Miss Smith, it's Chris Moore. Hey, um, hope everything's going well with, you know, your kitchen and you're still loving it. Um, I know you mentioned something about maybe having us come back and do the basement this fall. Just was curious if that was still on your radar or not. And they might be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I always wanted to reach out to you. You know, hey, we've actually got an opening that came up here in two weeks and we're just calling back through some of our customers that mentioned this. Like, just was curious, like, if that's too soon, no problem, but um, we can maybe get something done for you uh, then if you wanna get it done before October, right? You can have those conversations if you have notes and are making a list of people that make comments like that, what they're looking to get done, what their time frame is, you can use that in a pinch. Um, either way, reaching out to those previous customers is a great thing. Another thing, networking. Networking can get you immediate leads. Go connect with other business owners, go connect with most people, especially if you're in the resume paint market, that you're gonna come in contact with are gonna own a home, especially at like networking type events, right? They're gonna own a home. They may need something done there. They may know somebody. If you're, work, if you're connected with a realtor, they may have a client that needs something done, a designer, another contractor, whatever that might be. Networking is an easy way to 
don't be desperate, right? Don't come across the wrong way. Um, but to just have those conversations with people and maybe, you know, I went to networking events and left with like two leads to, to jump on and go do an estimate for later that week. Right. Um, it doesn't always work out perfectly like that, but just going and having conversations with people, as many people as possible, quality conversations, uh, can be a great thing. And then the other one, um, this is something we always did a lot. We talked about before putting door hangers out around the jobs that you have, you know, are on or just completed, uh, that said, Hey, you know, we just painted the exterior at 213 main street, call Chris for a free estimate. Um, just going out and getting those things out there are great. Um, there's a big difference between brand awareness and lead generation. And we need to understand the difference, especially if you're trying to get more business in a short amount of time, we need to be very focused on going and getting leads that you can do estimates for immediately. Um, yes, putting out door hangers can still be planting seeds. Somebody may hang on to that for six months. Um, I, I kid you not, I wish I could make this up. They said it was gonna happen and I, it's funny, I laugh every time. I got a phone call last year from somebody that I put a flyer on their house my first year with student painters in 2010, 12, years, this lady hang on to, hung on to this flyer. And she called me and she's like, hey, are you still doing student painters? And I'm like, well, I've been out of college now for 10 years. Um, and I was like, actually, I did stay with them for a while and just, you know, no, but let me connect you with somebody here in the area um, that I do know and, and trust. And people hang on to stuff, right? So some of those things are gonna be like planting seeds for the long haul, that's an extreme example. Um, but a lot of it's gonna be a little bit more immediate stuff, right? But networking and your previous customers is, is always the places I start with. Uh, and then the door hangers is something else that can be great. So um, I hope that was helpful. I'm really excited to do some more of these episodes. I love uh, just taking some random questions, diving through them a little bit. Uh, cause again, I know just cause somebody has a question about it. I know that means a lot of you guys do just maybe that person was just the one that came forward. So if you have things you want us to cover in a future episode, episode, reach out to us, submit it. Would love to. I'm happy to answer your question. Like I'm not going to make you wait six weeks until the episode comes out. Right. I'm happy to answer your question then. And then I'm going to add it in here to talk through uh, and run through on the podcast. So hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll catch you next week. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.